Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Decisions have consequences. Decisions have consequences. God put it this way in Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Decisions have consequences. May this be a warning to me. May this be a warning to you. And may this be a warning to all of our children. Because sometimes children make very bad decisions. They at times make them when they're young. They at times make them when they're grown and older. And the heartbreak of rebellion is a very real thing. There are consequences that are very real. Consequences for the family. Consequences for friends. Consequences to parents of prodigals. And consequences to the prodigals themselves. Why? Because decisions have consequences. I've talked to many parents through the years being in ministry. Just most recently last week. Hearing the heartbreak again. Of parents whose child is no longer walking with the Lord. And their eyes well up with tears. And their hearts just burst in pain. And they hurt. They hurt for that, that wayward son or that daughter. And I want you to turn to the story of a wayward child this morning. You know it well. It's best known as the prodigal son. And it's recorded for us in scripture in Luke chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 15. If, if you're new here at Harvest, we always have Bibles in the back tables. You're, you're welcome to pick one up and, and uh, open those up and, and share with the people around you. But uh, we're a church that's about the word of God. And, and we dig in and, and we study. So we invite you to bring your Bible and study your Bible with us. Luke chapter 15. Uh, the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal means wastefully or recklessly extravagant is, is what it really means. And, and they're a rebel is who they are. And you need to understand the context of Luke 15. Jesus is being criticized. He's being criticized for all things of spending too much time with sinners. Caring for outcasts. Um, ministering and eating with sinful people. And the religious snobs of the day, the religious leaders of the day are very uneasy they're uncomfortable with that because they don't want anything to do with outcasts and sinners. Jesus does. Um, so Jesus shares three parables and he's explaining the heart of God for this lost world. And he'll start with the lost sheep and then he'll move on to the lost coin. And this passage is about a lost son. And it has some wonderful lessons for us to learn about God's love for the lost and how he parents people. But it also has some great lessons for us as parents when it comes to our own children. So we're going to start reading in Luke 15 chapter 11. Or Luke 15 verse 11. So if, if uh, you look at Luke 15. Go ahead and read along as I read. He said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father. Father give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. 
First thing that I learn as I study this passage is this. The heartbreak of rebellion is a heartbreak to parents. Say that with me. The heartbreak of rebellion is a heartbreak to parents. I think every parent with a prodigal child has to fight the battle of false guilt. What could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? Where did we go wrong? What did I do wrong? And so there's this battle that must be waged over false guilt. You you notice here in verse 11, there's two sons. You've got the same parents living in, in, in the same house, these kids, experiencing the same upbringing, but two very different kids with two very different directions taken. Children make choices. We need to understand that. And, and, and they don't always make good ones. Yes, we can guide them, and yes, we can steer them, but at some point, we must release them. At some point, you've got to release them. And their bad choices are their own. They're not your choices, mom. They're not your choices, dad. And so you've got to fight, fight this false guilt. And the, the next thing that I see here in verse 12 is, is, is just the pain that this family and these parents and this dad must have experienced. I believe there's the pain when it comes to a prodigal of, of, of a selfish and, and insensitive child. That's what parents deal with with a prodigal. You deal with a selfish, insensitive child. This younger one said to his father, and of course it's always the younger one, you know. No, it's not. It's not. Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. You know what what the son is saying to his dad? Show me the money. And money is more important to me than my relationship with you, dad. And not only that, he's basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he's saying. You are worth more to me, dad, dead than alive. We get an inheritance typically when our parents pass. So he's basically saying, dad, you know what? You're worth nothing to me. I just want your money. So you have the pain of a selfish, insensitive child. You have the pain of a distanced child. He gathers everything together in just a few days. He's out of here. He's got the money now. And he takes off for a distant country. He's moving out. He's moving on. Now understand, there's nothing wrong with a child who's grown moving out and moving on. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I wish that would happen. Okay. Now, now, there's everything wrong, though, with the way an older child leaves. He's breaking off his relationship completely. I'm out of here. He doesn't want to be around mom and dad. He doesn't care about mom and dad. and, And he's just done with mom and dad. So his attitude is wrong. It's the way that he's doing it. And, and, and not only that, now we do need to understand, a child can be very distanced from their parents living under the same roof just in a room down the hall. That takes place too. This one is distanced physically. He's taking off. So the prodigal here is cutting off his family. He's cutting off communication. And he's cutting off accountability. He doesn't want to be held accountable for anything he's about to do. And that is a serious sign of trouble. Warren Wearsby said it this way. We're heading for trouble when we value things more than people, pleasure more than duty, and distant scenes more than the blessings we have right at home. Proverbs 17.24 puts it this way. The eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Always wanting something more out there and not realizing what they have right at home. The pain of a selfish, distance, 
And scripture tells us the pain and shame of a foolish child. Let's look at some Proverbs on this. Proverbs 10.1, a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Oh, just not, just not his mother. Proverbs 17.25, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. There's just this agony of bitterness in your heart when you have a foolish child. Proverbs 17.21, he who sires a fool does so to his sorrow. The father of a fool has no joy. It's just the opposite of what children should bring parents. They should bring such joy. But when you have a foolish child making foolish decisions, they don't bring much joy. They bring grief and shame. We see it again in some other verses. Proverbs 15.20, a foolish man despises his mother, dishonors her, disrespects her. Let, let me tell you something. That, that is one thing in our home that I could never stand for, and I encourage you never to stand for. If, if little junior starts disrespecting mama, boy, that's the laundry room big time. And if you may be here today saying, what's the laundry room? You weren't in church last week, were you? <laughs> you need to listen to last week's message, okay? All God's people said, you need to listen to last week's message if you did not. It's on discipline at every age level of a child. You do not stand for disrespect. You do not stand for dishonor when it comes to a child in your home. Proverbs 19.26, he who assaults his father and drives his mother away as a shameful, disgraceful son. You start hitting, throwing punches, kicking, you got a kid that's out of control and in and, and, and really bad, bad situation. Proverbs 20.20, 20, he who curses his father or mother, his lamp will go out in time of darkness. You have a kid cursing you? Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, we've got problems in the home right there. Um, Proverbs 28, 24, he who robs his father or mother and says, oh, it's not a transgression as a companion of a man who destroys stealing from his parents because he thinks, he thinks you know, they, they owe him. No joy, such sorrow these, these kids bring. You got to fight this false guilt. You got you to fight through that experience of pain, of selfishness and distance and a foolish child. And then you've got the pain of watching Bad decision after bad decision and not being able to do anything about it. That's hard for a parent. He he says, give me the share, my fair share of the estate. And he gathers everything. He goes on a journey. He squanders everything with loose living. So, So what do we have here? We have a poor financial decisions. That's what we have going on. Give me my fair share of the estate. Verse 13 squanders the estate. Know the truth of Proverbs 20.21. Read this with me. An inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Greed burns right through money. That's what takes place. And greed is never blessed by God. Know the wisdom of Proverbs 11.29. He who troubles his own house will inherit wind. And the foolish will be servant to the wise-hearted. May this be a warning to all troublemaking children. It's really easy to remove you from the will. And you won't be the first that that has happened to. I mean, think about it, moms and dads. Why, as a parent, would you want to pass on your estate to a foolish child who's going to squander all your hard work? Think about it, moms and dads. Why would you want to pass on an inheritance to a child who is dishonoring God and dishonoring you? Why? Don't do it. You may say, well, well, then why did this dad do it? 
The kid comes and says, divide it, and he goes ahead and he divides it. Now, this is different culturally speaking. Let me explain something. The Jewish Mishnah, which was the interpretation of the law, allowed a father to settle his estate while he was still living. But understand, the disbursement would happen, and the son was not allowed to sell anything. Why? Because the father still had rights to all of it to support himself. So it was a little different culturally speaking. The sad part is, not only is his son saying, Dad, I wish you were dead, he's also risking his father's financial future instability. Proverbs 19.13, a foolish son is destruction to his father. And we see that in this case in point. They make poor financial decisions. Oh, and there's nothing you can do for your child doing that when they're grown. They make poor relational decisions. I mean, we're told in verse 13, distant country and loose living. I'm assuming he's not hanging around with the best people. I'm assuming he's not keeping the most godly of company. I'm assuming there's some bad influences he's allowed in his life. That's why we read these verses. Listen carefully. Choose your friends wisely. Proverbs 28, 7. He who is a companion of gluttons humiliates his father. You don't hang around with people that lack self-control. You don't. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company. Say it with me corrupts good morals. You don't hang around with bad company. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You're doing yourself a disfavor when you hang around with foolish people. Choose your friends wisely. Well, who should we choose? Psalm 119.63. I'm a companion, the psalmist says, of all those who fear you, And of those who keep your precepts. So in other words, look for people who fear God and look for people who follow the word of God. That's who you hang around with, young people. That's who you hang around with, old people. Do they have a healthy fear of God? And are they people who follow the word of the living God? He's making poor financial, relational. He's making poor moral decisions. Again, verse 13, we're told loose living And then verse 13, his older brother will tell us he's devoured his wealth with prostitutes. Pretty bad moral choices this man is making in his life. Proverbs 29.3 says, a man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. He just wants to let loose and live it up and experience all the fun in the world and he's going to cut these strings and do whatever he wants, unfortunately not realizing the strings that he is cutting are like the strings of a kite. Soon the kite with the cut strings will come crashing down. And he thought he was just getting loose. He's about to crash. And the saddest part again is that there's nothing you can do but watch. That's the heartbreak of rebellion. Listening to the foolishness of a grown child Watching the foolishness of a grown child, it may be the hardest thing a parent has ever had to do in their life is let a prodigal go and watch how a prodigal is living and wasting their lives. May I remind you and remind myself and all of us that they can run from us, but they can't run from God. May I remind us that they can't run from the long arm of the Lord. He sees, he knows, and he answers prayer. God answers prayer. Pray fervently for any prodigals. By the way, at the end of the service today, 
I want to open up the altar at the end of our time. Just for everybody and anyone who knows a prodigal in your own family or someone else, just to come up here and we are going to intercede for these kids and lift them up to God. The heartbreak of rebellion is a heartbreak of parents. Secondly, the heartbreak of rebellion reaps pain for the prodigal. Say that with me. The heartbreak of rebellion reaps pain for the prodigal. Why? Because decisions have consequences. We reap what we sow. And prodigals will quickly learn that things don't go as well as they had hoped and planned. And their perfect plans are going to end up in a heap of hurt. Look at verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurs in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country, and he he sent him into his fields to feed swine, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Sin never succeeds. It never succeeds in my life. It never succeeds in your life. It never succeeds in our children's lives. In the long run, sin never succeeds. Now, now, the passing pleasures of sin, yeah, oh yeah, they'll be fun for a quick second or so. But listen, they leave a dreadful sting of pain. It's only a matter of time when we run from God that the bottom is going to fall out. And that's what we see here. Look at this. The bottom falls out financially. Remember that big estate that he had and all that money to burn? Yeah, he burned right through it. Verse 14, when he had spent everything. So there's no self-control, living for the moment, living on carnal impulse. There's no self-control. There's no savings. I'm convinced the prodigal was an American. He, He never saved a dime. It was just max out every credit card and spend, 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 spend. Remember Proverbs 20, 21, an inheritance gained hurriedly will not be blessed in the end. This is not blessed. He's burned right through it. And he never thought about saving for a rainy day, emergencies. Maybe my car will need something done. Maybe a house will need to be repaired. Maybe I'll need to replace an appliance. No savings. Um, Can I just give you a little bit of advice? Don't spend more than you make. I know, it's earth-shattering financial advice. But some of you need to hear it. Stop spending more than you make. Here's something else to remember about money. Proverbs 23, 5. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. It's gone. That's how quickly money disappears. Spend less than you make. So he's out of money and he's out of food. Severe famine occurs in the country. So so he's impoverished, he's broke, he's penniless, he's bankrupt. The economy can change really quickly, can it not? All of a sudden there's some unforeseen event in your life, health-wise or some other thing. All of a sudden one election changes everything for your work. All of a sudden one natural disaster, everything is changed. Sir Robert Burns put it this way in 1786, the best laid schemes of mice and men often go awry and leave us not but grief and pain for promised joy. He wrote that after plowing up and overturning a mouse nest. Then he said, oops, see, all your good plans came to nothing. All our good plans sometimes come to nothing. The bottom falls out financially. The bottom falls out occupationally. This is not what a a good kosher Jewish boy ever saw himself doing down the road. Feeding pigs. These were unclean animals. They wouldn't have anything to do with these animals. 
This wasn't the plans he left home with. Now he's desperate for a job, you know, better, no, better some job than, than no job. And here's the saddest tr- the part of this. The sad truth is that he was forced to do for a stranger what he wouldn't do for his own father. He's forced to do for a stranger what he wouldn't do for his own father. Bottom falls out financially, occupationally. The bottom falls out physically. Look at verse 16. He would have gladly filled his stomach. So he's gone from living high on the hog to longing for the pods of pigs. And he's hungry. It's affected his body. Far cry from the fancy dinners he used to buy. Far cry from the home-cooked meals his mom used to make them. Running from family isn't all that it's supposed to be. Running from family isn't all it's cracked up to be. I want you to understand something here. Lifestyle choices always catch up with people. Lifestyle choices always catch up with people. There will be physical suffering, disease, eventual death. We can only abuse our bodies so long. You can only abuse it with alcohol so long. Abuse it with overeating and gluttony. So long. Sexual immorality. So long. Decisions have consequences. We reap what we sow. And some of us here this morning may have some really bad habits. And you know what? You got to stop making excuses. And and we've got to stop living in denial. And it's time to change the way we're living. And get back the way maybe God wants us to live because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you need some help. Maybe you need some friends and family. Maybe you need Celebrate Recovery on Friday nights. Accountability centered around the Bible. By all means, understand. We reap what we sow. Bottom falls out physically, occupationally, physically. The bottom falls out relationally. Verse 16 says, no one was giving anything to him. What happened to all his friends? People he used to party with. Well, his faithful old friends, he's abandoned them. His exciting new friends have abandoned him. Can I tell you something? Most people don't like poor people. You got money, you got friends. You got friends you didn't even know were friends because they're not friends. You lose your money, you wonder where your friends went. Proverbs 14, 20. The poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. Proverbs 19.4, wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friend. Proverbs 19.6 and 7, many will seek the favor of a generous man. Every man is a friend to him who has or gives gifts. All the brothers of a poor man, though, they hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? He pursues them with words, but they're gone. Here's the sad truth. Money dries up, often friendships dry up. Be a true friend and make sure you have true friends. The sad reality is we have a boy here who is going to make it in the world and the boy has lost himself in the world and he has lost everything. So many people like that in this world today. They were going to make it in this world. They had all these dreams and hopes and plans. And the reality is they've lost themselves in this world. And they've lost everything. The heartbreak of rebellion is a heartbreak to parents and the heartbreak of rebellion reaps pain for prodigals. But here's some good news. The heartbreak of rebellion can be reversed. The heartbreak of rebellion can be reversed. There's always hope. Don't be without hope. Look at verse 17. 
When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. There's this light bulb moment, this spiritual enlightenment that strikes him between the eyes like a lightning bolt from heaven. And he starts to think sensibly. Sometimes hitting rock bottom is the best thing that can happen to us. All of a sudden it jars our head and it jump starts our heart and we start thinking right and, and living right. And you may have hit rock bottom in your life. Don't be without hope. That could be the best thing that has happened to you. Because all of a sudden God has gotten your attention. And there's changes that you and I need to make in our lives. And now this guy starts to think sensibly. And, and he's saying, you know what? I need to go home. This is, this is, this is the moment parents pray for. This is the, merit, the moment parents long for. That our, that our children will see the emptiness of sinful living and the short pleasures of sin are just not worth it ever. And so he's thinking sensibly and now he's thinking reasonably. And all of a sudden, what do you mean reasonably? All of a sudden, home... You know, home isn't as bad as I thought it was. I was cared for at home. You know what? Work, work isn't as bad as I thought it was. It's not demoralizing like it is now. It's amazing to me, people who lose their jobs after complaining about that old job, now they don't complain about that old job and wish they had it back. Work isn't as bad as you thought it was. Dad, dad isn't as bad as I thought he was. He was fair and he's gracious to his workers and they eat well. Mark Twain, it's attributed to him, put it this way. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to be, have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> That's so funny. Boy, our parents, they, they get smarter the older we become. Isn't that amazing? So from a man who couldn't get away from his dad fast enough to a man who can't get his dad off of his mind. What do you mean by that? Four times from verse 17 to 20, he'll talk about his father. Verse 17, my father's hired men. Verse 18, I'm going to go to my father. Again in verse 18, I'll say to him, father. In verse 20, he came to his father. I'm just telling you right now, home is not as bad as you thought it was. Work is not as bad as you thought it was. Your parents are not as bad as you thought they were. He's thinking, I need to make my way home. Some of us here today need to realize, home and work and my parents are not as bad as I thought they were. And some of us need to realize, you know, church isn't as bad as I thought it was. You know what? God is not as bad as I thought he was. You know, the Bible's really not as bad as I thought it was. You know, my Christian friends weren't, they're really not as bad as I thought they were. He's starting to think sensibly and reasonably, and he's starting to think humbly. Verse 18 and 19. And all of a sudden, you see the humility. I will go to my father. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer the we worthy to be called your son. Would you hire me out as one of your hired men? 
So all of a sudden there's this humility. Think, listen, good things happen. Good things happen when we stop denying we've sinned. Good things happen when we stop downplaying our sin. Good things happen when we stop hiding our sin. Good things happen when we stop blaming others for our sin. Good things happen when we face our sin and humbly do that. Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his transgressions and sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find what? Compassion. And some of you here this morning need to understand this. You've been hiding your sin and blaming others for your sin and downplaying your sin like it's not that big a deal. It is that big a deal. And it's time to be humble toward God and others and confess it and you will find compassion. You will find compassion, not judgment. It's a twofold humility. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against my dad. I've I've rebelled against heavenly authority. I've I've rebelled against earthly authority. And, And then you have this humility of servanthood from sonship. This is a big change taking place in this guy's head and his heart. He is truly broken. He's truly humble and changed. He's no longer demanding things. He, he, he no longer knows it all. He goes from, I'm too good for anybody else, to I'm too not worthy. I'm not worthy of anything else. That's where he goes to. From too good for anybody else to not worthy for anything else. He goes from ungrateful for all that he had and claiming his rights for more to undeserving and giving up any on all rights. He goes from not willing to work or submit to authority to being satisfied with an entry-level position. I'll just take whatever you got. Humility. Humility takes personal responsibility. Humility takes personal responsibility. I will get up. I will go. I will say, I have sinned. And maybe you're here today and it's time to take personal responsibility. I have been the problem. I have done this. And stop pointing fingers at everybody else. Humility takes its very first step and humility takes its very first bite of humble pie. And maybe that first bite you really don't want to take. But can I tell you something? Once you take the first bite, every bite after that grows sweeter. So maybe it's just taking that first step, that that first bite of humble pie. I will go. I will say, I have sinned. The heartbreak of rebellion is a heartbreak to parents, reaps pain for the prodigal, can be reversed, and may the heartbreak of rebellion turn into the joy of restoration. Say that with me. May the heartbreak of rebellion turn into the joy of uh, restoration. Look at verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. Ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. Bring out the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Let me encourage you with some things here. I want to encourage you 
who have prodigals to keep waiting and keep watching, to keep praying and keep interceding and keep longing and keep hoping and do not lose hope. You don't know how far down the road they are. You don't know the turn that is happening in their life. You don't know. Now, and when they come back, I think we've got to be prepared to have the right response. Because some of us here as parents are just mad. We're angry. And we're going to lay into them. Wrong response. It's not how God deals with us when we come back to him. After we have sinned again and again and again. God wants to make sure we are prepared to receive prodigals back. With grace and mercy and compassion, not condemnation. Compassion, not condemnation. I want you to notice here, his father saw him, it says here, and felt compassion for him. Not anger and bitterness, no disgust and shame. The dad didn't run back in the house, lock the doors and turn the light off. It's not what the dad did. Maybe what God wants to do is make sure that we get our hearts right before God brings our children back home. Maybe that's the whole purpose for this message, for some of you. That your heart needs to be ready before God brings your child home. That you're ready to show compassion, not condemnation. I want you to understand how God treats us. And, and, and you who are here this morning who've repented, you also need to understand this. God is not angry with you. Do you understand that? Yeah, but pastor, you don't know what I did and you don't know where I've gone and you don't know the things. Listen, if you have repented and you've come back to God, he's not angry with you. The picture we have in the parable is God is the father. He is not mad at his son. And he is not mad at you. You've repented. You have come back. And he opens his arms to you. And that's what we need to do with any and all prodigals when they come back into our family. When they come back into the church. It's a beautiful thing. We welcome with open arms. So we keep waiting and we watching and we, we give them compassion, not condemnation. And we shower them, look at, look at the next verse, with aggressive affection. It says he runs to his son. He doesn't run away from him and avoid him. He embraces his son. Literally, it means he falls on his neck. He kisses his son. No cursing, no condemnation. He is reestablishing his relationship with his child. He is not withholding love. He is not withholding affection. God is not withholding his love and affection from you. He loves you. Repent and come back. And this is beautiful. No matter how disappointed, no matter how much hurt, no matter what sin. I just love this picture of the father embracing his son. That's the picture of God. With his fallen child. That's what God does with us. That's what God does with me. That's what God does with you. When you sin. And you repent. And you come back to God. By the way it's the only place in scripture. That we see God run. 
See, God runs. This is awesome. And what does he do? He runs to us and showers us with love and he runs to us who've been lost in this world and he runs to us not to berate us but to adore us. And then he listens. Look at verse 21. Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah, I know. No, he doesn't say that. He just listens to his son. And this is so beautiful on two accounts here. The father's affection came before the son's confession. Do you realize that? Because he saw his son and he knew his heart and he knew what was going on in the humility. And the son's confession came after the father's affection. The son could have said, okay, I don't need to say anything. Dad's hugged me. No, he could have withheld it, but he didn't. He said, I still need to talk to you, dad. And I still need to confess. And then you see this beautiful restoration And it's immediate restoration. Look at verse 22. Quickly bring it. No shame, no testing him, no holding it at arm's length, no doubting him. He's heard the brokenness in his son's voice. He's seen the demeanor that he's come back with. And he knew this was a different man than the boy that left. He knew he was different. There's immediate restoration. There's physical restoration. Bring the best robe, not just any robe. Put a ring on his hand. What does the ring represent? Many believes it represents the family seal that would be on a ring. In other words, you are fully restored to sonship in the family. Put sandals on his feet, assuming he's barefoot and destitute. He's restoring the dignity of his son. That's what God does with us when we sin against God. He embraces us and he restores our dignity. The dignity that we've allowed this world to steal from us. With our stupid financial decisions and occupational decisions and immoral decisions and relational decisions. And some of us here this morning, we've lost so much dignity. How could God ever restore it? He can. And he will. When you come back to the Father, he embraces you. And he restores you to full sonship. As if you've never left. Come back to God. Come back to him and and let him restore your dignity. And let him claim you as his own. And then there's a celebration. He says, man, kill that fatted calf. He went to Longhorn Steakhouse the other day. I love fatted calves that are slaughtered, man. I'm just telling you. Man, Parmesan-encrusted New York strip, medium. Oh, it was so good. But anyway... Bring it, kill it, let's eat it. Special calf, save for a special occasion. And this was a special occasion. And they celebrate the transformation. When anybody comes back to the Lord, we celebrate the transformation. Oh, man, what, what a beautiful testimony somebody put on our Facebook. Uh, the Jensen's, uh, she, she mentioned her, her grandmother. She flew out west to share the gospel with this 103-year-old woman, and she received Christ. That's awesome. Man, that's a transformation worth just just shouting about. And he says, my son is alive. My son has been found. The heartbreak of rebellion. Say it with me. The heartbreak of rebellion is a heartbreak to parents. We feel your pain. The heartbreak of rebellion reaps pain for the prodigal. Consequences are certain. The heartbreak of rebellion can be reversed. Humble yourselves, come to your senses, and may the heartbreak of rebellion turn into the joy of restoration. Don't lose hope. Say that with me. Don't lose 